welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hey, it's Ken Gagne with the Polygamer Podcast for episode number 52 on Wednesday, September 28th, 2016. Today I have the honor of speaking with a star of stage, screen, and game. You may know this actor from such live productions as Glengarry Glen Ross or Shakespeare's Othello. TV commercials and series such as LARPs and Game On, movies such as White House Down and Red 2, and most notably for this podcast, video games including Deus Ex Human Evolution, Far Cry 2 and Far Cry Primal, Rainbow Six Siege, and especially Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag, and the Freedom Cry DLC where he played slave-turned-pirate Adewale. I am, of course, referring to none other than Tristan Durand-Lala. Hello, Tristan. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you tonight? That was the best fucking intro ever. I'm just trying to give you the introduction that you deserve. Did I forget anything? Uh, no, nah, man. That was great. Wow. <laughs> Glad to hear it. So you have a fantastic and storied career for somebody who is still fairly young in the industry, in their early 30s. And I'd like to know about how you got started on this career path, because it seems unlikely looking at your early childhood. I understand you had a speech disorder up until you were about nine years old or so. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I did. I couldn't really speak fluent uh, verbal language until I was about eight, nine years old. I had a, I used to stutter a lot and had a big, uh, like a stammer, a big speech impediment. And I was a shy kid and all that. So um, the irony of my life is kind of amazing to me sometimes because <laughs> I'm like, oh, I get to do this stuff on a daily basis, which uh, requires my voice. And I never really had it for most of my childhood. So it's kind of cool. And what was it that helped you get over that speech disorder? Were you seeing speech pathologists? Not at all. Um, I used to lock myself in the bathroom with books. And um, there was, <laughs> I'm going to tell half a real story and half a fake story because I can't remember which is which anymore. But there was like this earpiece that they wanted to give me uh, at one point that kind that um, it, it makes you hear yourself at a frequency higher and a frequency lower at a slight delay. So it feels like there's a group of you speaking and it gives you more confidence and we couldn't really afford it. And I didn't want to feel like that special kid um, and all that. So I never really got that, but I like to think that the echo from the bathtub in the bathroom when I was reading just did the same fucking thing. So <laughs> a very affordable alternative then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just, you know, hard, uh, hard discipline of like pronouncing words out loud and, and reading a lot of childhood favorite books. And, and yeah, like the first book I read out loud by myself without f stopping at all was like Charlotte's web. Um, and I, I love, I always carry that exact copy that I read um, with me a lot. So yeah, it's kind of a little sentimental shit to start us. <laughs> you still have that book? I do. I have the exact book. Yeah. I wow. keep it like wrapped in a thing. So which half of that story do you think was fake? Um, like, <laughs> I don't remember ever seeing the airpiece, but I remember somebody talking to me about it. But I do remember um, just not wanting to feel like, you know, the special kid who had to go through all this stuff. But I was that kid. And sometimes today I get to teach classes and workshops. And I work with a lot of children, young adults, teenagers who have different challenges sometimes and whenever i come across someone who who stutters i have a really special like place 
in my heart for them because I know what they're going through. And um, yeah, there's there's always there's always a way to to be understood. It's just a matter of finding ways for people to listen to you. And sometimes it's not verbal, um, but you know there is there's dance, there's music, there's painting, there's sculpting, there's all kinds of ways to express yourself that's not verbal sometimes. So um, yeah. It's pretty cool. I think it's great that you have empathy with young people who have those same challenges that you did. As a little kid, I myself saw a speech pathologist, and the one thing I wanted other people to have was patience with me mm -hmm. because I had something to say, and it was very frustrating when they couldn't understand it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel you. Yeah. You, you not only had that challenge, but as you said, you were also shy, and so it seems unlikely that you would become an actor. What, <laughs> what happened to make you want to be an actor? You want the real answer? Absolutely. So, like, in terms of why I'm I'm an actor, I guess like the long and the short of that is that I come from a family of of performers and like people who who actually did like some pretty crazy stuff. My grandfather's name was Rudolph Charles. He invented the steel pan, the instrument known as the steel pan. Amazing. Like my my mother's father invented that. So, <laughs> um, I kind of grew up seeing that in the family. Right. So, uh, <laughs> there's that, but a lot of my uncles and cousins were, you know, singers, musicians, that type of thing. So the, the performance kind of, uh, trail was, was not a far one for me to, to follow. But in terms of me being shy, like literally one day I woke up, I saw myself and I said, stop it. I don't want to be like this. Stop it. And I just like decided not to be shy. <laughs> was it something that your family encouraged for you to follow in their footsteps? Um, Yes and no. I would say more and no because they've seen the ups and the downs and the failures of it. So they probably didn't want me to go through that. Like I remember my mother, my grandmother telling me, you know, do something else, do something quote unquote real and, uh, you know, all that stuff that they tell you to get away from the arts. But I'm stubborn and uh, motivated at the same time. So I put my foot down and here we are. It's great that even even though they knew the challenges you would face, they still supported you because yeah. it, not many people get to make a living doing what you do. It's true. It's it's really rare to be able to wake up and do what you love. So like every day, I'm really grateful. I try to live a life of gratitude, even when I'm um I, I, I seem like I'm an awful garbage person. Um, <laughs> like literally every morning the first words out of my mouth are always thank you. Before I get out of bed, I say thank you three times. When my feet hit the floor, I say thank you. And then I just let the day hit me with whatever hits me, um, just so I can at least start the day with gratitude. I don't always end the day with gratitude, but you know we're all a work in progress, so ain't nobody perfect. That's great. I mean, I've heard of people who every night, they literally count their blessings for the day just to yeah. keep that attitude of gratitude. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So which were you first, an aspiring actor or a video gamer? I was a video gamer way first because growing up, that's, you know, that's what you did. You, you got home after school, you shot your school back down. If no one's around, you don't have to do homework. So you hop right on the Nintendo or the Atari in my case. Um, and you play Frogger or, um, whatever. Was it called Frogger? I think at one point it was called Highway Crossing Frog. Um, <laughs> there were a couple of clones. I know Atari made a game called Freeway. Freeway, maybe Freeway. Yeah, that was where you were answering the question: Why did the chicken cross the road? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it used to like get run over all the time by the car. Absolutely, that was amazing. <laughs> but like then, in like the original Nintendo, and you know, we had all those. My brother and my cousins, like 
yeah, that's what we did. We were gamers from like day one. So mm-hmm. and we still are. Sneaking in some games of Contra and River City Ransom. Oh man, Contra, yo, the super spreader and Contra. Absolutely, best weapon ever. My brother and my cousin, like I so this was my thing. I was the little one, and so I would watch them play. So I would rarely get to hold the controller. Um, cause I always died. And so I would watch them play and I was like the best cheerleader from the sidelines. I'm like, no, no, jump, jump. No. Oh, you, you lost the guy or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was Sonic all like all them, all them games. Love them. Love them. Now, were you on the sidelines because they wouldn't give you the controller? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was a little shit. I <laughs> you had to like earn your ranks in, in the, in the, in front of the TV to hold the controller and I would always die. So. I wasn't very good, but I'm a good like wingman, so I could like coach you from the side. But given the option, you'd much rather be the one playing. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> Eventually, like you know, when you're small, I don't know how, how old are you? Uh, about five years older than you. All right. So like you know, like when you were younger, like we would naturally just jump with the controller and like move our bodies. Right. But now, like with like Nintendo Wii in existence, if you move your body, you actually like move the controller type of thing. We used to just do that all the time. And I would just jump all over the room and sometimes I'd unplug the machine if we're really far in the game and they get pissed off. So I get kicked out of the room where I can't play and I would just die. So I wasn't very good. (laughs) I'm sure you've seen the movie, the wizard. Yeah, of course. There's one scene where Bo Bridges is in the hotel room playing the Ninja Turtles game for the Ape <laughs> Nintendo, and he's just like jumping all over the room yeah. trying to move the character. Oh man, that movie used to give me nightmares. I don't know why when they got inside the dinosaur's mouth. Nightmares. California. <laughs> it's so weird, but that movie yeah. is fantastic. So you knew you wanted to be an actor, but did you have a specific kind of acting in mind? Because like I said, you've done stage, screen, TV, video games. Did you have a particular medium in as a goal? Not really. Um, I, I was the type of kid that grew up believing that movies are magic, and I still do. Um, and like the power of movies and TV has always impacted me. And um, I believe that like representation is really important. So I remember being able to acknowledge the first time I saw someone on stage and on screen that really looked like me and sounded like me and thinking, hey, I can do that. I can be that person one day. And I remember what that felt like. So whenever I get to do something that's especially like for like children's theater or something like that, I really relish at the idea of maybe one day someone else's life will be changed from my life having been changed from seeing whoever that guy was back then. So yeah, it's, it's, it's magic. It really is magic. But before you went into that magical world of acting, you decided not to just drop out of high school and move to New York city and be a starving <laughs> artist. You went to college for this, right? I did. I went to theater school um, for three years and I love theater. It's my first love. And I still do theater all the time. Um, last year I was uh, one of the 10 ensemble members at Canada's National Arts Center in Ottawa, Ontario. And uh, I spent months there doing the entire season of plays and from Shakespeare stuff, musical stuff, sword fighting, all that stuff. Um, and in theater school, we go through the gamut of, you know, the classicals, the classics and the modern stuff and everything from Molière to Shakespeare to Chekhov, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I love theater. I've always loved the stage and I've always felt really comfortable in front of an audience Ironically, I've always felt comfortable speaking in front of people. Um, like when I was in high school, I was part of student council, became vice president, got into a lot of public speaking, and it really built my 
I wouldn't say my my confidence per se, but more my understanding of what it means to interact with large groups of people and still feel like I'm talking to each and every person. And that just led to my love of the stage. Yeah. Are there any particular professors you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, man. Um, shout out to, <laughs> um, no, all of my theater school teachers were amazing. Um, particularly, like I think of my teachers, uh, Cynthia Hendrickson, Bert Henry, Victor Knight, Fred Ward, Winston Sutton. Um, these are all the teachers that really like, even though I thought I was good and certain people might thought I was good, they told me, oh, you're good, but you ain't shit. Like you bet you have to be 10 times as good for half the praise because just because like nothing's going to be handed to you. Nobody asks you to be an actor. So you got to work your ass off. The best teachers I've ever had in life come to think about it. We're always trying to learn something from me. Um, like I had this really great teacher in high school. whose name is Serge Belmar. And I still get emails from him daily. He's really funny guy. Um, but he emails all the students all the time to this day. And he was like the best teacher I've ever had in my life because he always was trying to learn something. And I take that into my classes sometimes whenever I get the opportunity to teach that if I'm not trying to actually learn from those I'm like allegedly imparting knowledge to, I'm doing, I'm not doing my job because I don't know everything. So it's, it's a give and take even in a classroom. Wow. Yeah. Are there environments now where you as a teacher get to learn from your students? Every time, every time, all the time. Yeah, absolutely. There's never a time when I am so bold that I think that I have all the answers. And when that happens, like, I don't even want to, well, like when that day comes rather, I don't want to do it because that's a dangerous place. That's like some game of Thrones arrogance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So you'll never get to a point where you've learned everything. No, no. When, when I do, then I'll be dead. <laughs> or like I'll learn the rest on the other side but I don't think we ever get to that point really so how did your first video game gig come about hmm <laughs> my first video game gig um man that's a lie I don't want to tell that that's a lie um I was my first video game gig was an audition like any other audition um when you, like your agent calls you and says, okay, you have an audition for XYZ project, whatever it is. And sometimes it's a play, sometimes it's a TV show. And this time it was a voice. And because of non-disclosure agreements and things like that, they can never tell you what the project is until you get there. And so I get there and I'm in a studio. I'm like, oh, there's no cameras here. It's just like voice, voice, like audio only. Okay. And this was maybe 2000 and. I don't know, 2000, let's say 2005, um, six maybe. And I got there and I made a complete ass of myself and I didn't get the part. Um, <laughs> but the director, like he kind of dug my vibe and he remembered me when he started working on another thing and he called me in and he said, Hey, I think you could do this thing. And I did it. And then I got the part and then I was there for a couple months doing that. It was, uh, it was Far Cry 2. Nice. Had you told your agent to look for video game gigs for you? At that point, I had always known that I wanted to like break into the voice world. And in my head, the voice world was like mainly like cartoons or commercial voices, narrations for documentaries, things like that. 
but video game was like really a budding, like it was, I, I feel like I'm lucky because when I really started doing the games, it was right on the cusp of like when the industry shifted and it was like this big thing, especially here in Montreal, that they always wanted like a young male voice too. There's, there's always room for like young male voices in games. Like that is my privilege in this industry that I know I'll work in voice for quite some time because as a young man, like my voice can be really malleable and I could yell grenade all day and throw grenades in every game because every game has that type of stuff, you know? So there's, uh, there's a lot of area for that for men to work in, which is, um, which is changing. Thank God, because there's so many amazing, um, female actors in this world that deserve work as well. So um, I did not even answer your question. What did you say? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you did. I asked how your first gaming gig came about. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's right. And it seems to work out pretty well that both you and Ubisoft are in Montreal because I've noticed a lot of your work has been with that developer specifically. It has, yeah. I was there today, actually. Really? I mean, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You can't tell us what you're working on? Not at all. NDAs, I get it. I want to, but I can't. Keep keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> so with voice acting, I would think that since you don't have to be in front of the camera, you could do that job from anywhere, but it seems like they do want you in their studio. Yeah, it's it's really... Um, sometimes there's there have been times that... Hmm, no, I'll tell this story because I can't tell that story. I'm trying to think of what I should and shouldn't say. <laughs> Uh, so there was a time, like when I was working in Ottawa, like I mentioned before, last year at the National Arts Center, that I was asked to come in and do a voice for Ubisoft. And I, I wasn't in Montreal, so I couldn't get into the studio. And it was with um, a director I worked with before, and he wanted me specifically. And I'm like, wow, okay, this doesn't really happen that people ask for me. And now that tide has shifted and like I'm being asked for and I can't fucking be there. Like I'm a complete failure. What am I doing with my life? Why can't I be there? And so they found a way to, they found a studio in Ottawa that I could record out of while I was on the line with the director in Montreal, who was on the line with the producer in Quebec City, who was on the line with the writer in Paris, who was on the line with the animator in New York. And so all of us were on the line at the same time from different cities recording this session. And so like, if it's meant to work and they want it to work, it will work and they'll find a way. So like the, the amazing, the technology, like the, the way the industry works now, like things can happen from different cities all the time. It's rare that that type of stuff happens. But um, what was that for? That was for the crew. I did like all the trailer voices for the crew before it came out and yeah they just like they really wanted my voice and i'm like yeah i really want to do this but i can't get to montreal because i have a dress rehearsal tonight because i'm doing 12th night for shakespeare (laughs) but they made it work they made it work so there's always a way when you are in montreal do you have a voice studio in your home i yeah i can record from home um i have a a little setup i have my mics and my uh, my little voice booth so to speak, yeah. And what does your rig look like? What sort of hardware do you use? <laughs> I use an H4N Zoom, um, which is uh, what I'm talking on right now. And um, I use, um, I have like some pretty basic like mic stands. And sometimes I use different like attachments for the mic. 
um, what is that thing called? I have this thing that I don't know what it's called. I can't remember what it's called rather, but it's like, it's like a, like a, like a foam, like semicircle dome. You know what I'm talking about? You mean like a pop filter? Uh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, but that has its own like, like mic stand slash like booth to it. And so like, it just eats up all, um, unwanted sound and it's great. So it sounds like it's, you don't have to go super high end though. You don't, you really don't like it. Once you have a good quality, um, mic apparatus that like I've, I've done like self tapes on my phone. Sometimes if I'm not near my, I've learned to walk with my mic if I'm out of town and I could do a, a quick self tape, edit it on my computer, send it off to my agent if I need to. But sometimes when I don't have my mic and I forget it, I could do it on my phone, like find a really good blanket, get on the bed, get under the blanket and just cut out all the sound. And there's lots of ways to make sure that your voice is clear and, and sounds good. But like most of it starts with like your voice, like training your voice to do what you want it to do. And then a mic should come afterwards. Like you don't need to spend hundreds of dollars on a mic to make you sound good. Cause if you don't sound good, that's not really going to help. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And some people make that mistake. So what is the best part of being a voice actor? Certainly you don't have to go through the same extensive costume and makeup that live theater would. And, you know, I've heard voice actors say their favorite part is being able to go to work in their pajamas. Yeah. But I assume there are other elements of the craft that you enjoy as well. There are. I'm like, I studied a lot of linguistics um, and I love languages and I love sounds. Like, I like to think that because of how my speech was when I was little, I'm very good at mimicking sounds and I like a lot of accents and a lot of like international things in my ears. <laughs> that sounds weird. But um, in the studio, like unless you have tons of text, that's a whole different story. But on like there are days when it's literally you're looking at a screen and you're looking at the animations and you have to just give vocalizations for slaps, punches, stabs, gunshots, all these things. And on days like that, I like to just be in the booth, turn off the lights, take off my shoes. And the screen is there. The mic is in front of me. And I just get to play and become a kid. And like, I don't run around in there, but I, I, I definitely, I'm very physical. You hear a lot of actors talk about how physical it is in the booth. Cause it's not just a voice. Your voice comes from your body. And if you have to vocalize the sound of um, like getting stabbed in the neck with a dagger sounds different from getting impaled in the gut with a lance. And so in the voice studio, it becomes an anatomy lesson. It becomes psychology. It becomes all these things because you're thinking about like the velocity of the weapon hitting you and what it would actually feel like and how would your body react and how does that come out of your mouth? So it's not just like a vocal sound it's it's a lot of thinking and but then it just kind of comes out you know what i mean like you don't think about it too much in the moment really but you you do have to think about it before you make the sounds if that makes any sense but how do you know the difference between getting stabbed by a knife versus a lance uh you like you what i literally do is i i play it out in in the studio like i'll i'll move around a bit and I'll be like, okay, if that thing is four feet tall and my character is six one and I gotta if I get hit by it and it takes me back like a foot, 
like, what is my body physically doing? And so I'll, I'll just like, I'll feel it out. And so if my body gets hit and then my, if your head goes up while you yell, it's a different sound from your head staying stationary while you're yelling. So everything influences how the sound comes out of your throat. If that makes, I don't know if that makes sense. Does that make sense? No, it does make sense. It's a yeah. lot of, it's really, you're really putting yourself in the shoes of the character you're portraying. Yeah. And you have to, cause that's like when you play, like we've all played games. I won't name them, but we've all played games that when you're playing, you know that this shit does not sound like how it's supposed to be sounding. And it's like, wow, this is like really some who, like who directed this? Who are the voices in this thing? Why does this sound so cheesy and fake? But sometimes like the really great games, you can't tell that it's that like all the nuances are there because it just sounds so real. And that's how it should sound. But it, when it's like this really artificial, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't want to diss anybody's game, but it's yeah. like, it's, we've all played those games where it's like, what the fuck? Who made this? Oh, yeah. There's a YouTube supercut of some of the worst voice acting games. I'll put a link in the show notes that we don't have to name them here. Oh, man. Am I, am I on there? I'm probably on there. I don't think you are. <laughs> There's time. There's time. So I know people who think, oh, voice acting, I can make funny voices, that's easy, I can do accents, anybody can be a voice actor. So what is it that distinguishes somebody, like, I don't know, me, who just sits there watching cartoons and thinks I can do that, from somebody who actually does do that? Hmm. There's the polite answer, and then there's the answer that I'm probably gonna give you. This is an uncensored podcast, so cut loose. Uh, I don't mean like I don't mean like cursing wise. I just mean like so. I'll put it this way: Have you ever given someone the someone the Heimlich maneuver? I have not. Like, have you ever like patted someone on the back when they have to burp or something? Yes. Okay. Would you do open heart surgery? No. Why? Aren't you a doctor? <laughs> There's a big jump between those two things. Right. So I would say there's a big jump between someone watching cartoons and going, whoa, hey, guys, and calling themselves a voice actor. Because just because you can do one doesn't mean that that is your career and that is what you do as on a daily basis. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a lot of things that come with quote unquote voice actors besides being able to do voices. Um, and part of it is is the training is part of it is like, this is literally what, this is how I eat. This is what we do. This is every day. It's not just doing voices. It's going to events. It's talking to people. It's sending more emails than I receive. It's, it's a lot of stuff to make sure that I'm on people's minds and that I'm in the right places and have the right skills. So when the opportunities come, I'm ready for them. Cause if the opportunity hits you and you're not ready for it, like you, you've wasted it. Um, so it's way more than just being able to do a funny voice or do a good, like dark demon voice, but it's, it's part of your life. So someone who wants to get into voice acting, is it too late? Do they need to have gone to school no, at no, 18? No, not at all. It's never too late. Like I said, there's always, there's always a way, but you got to take it seriously and you have to make sure that you're getting into the proper doors and speaking to the right people and that you have a voice demo that is clear and crisp and short and shows the best you possible. And if you don't have those things, get them, get them going. If you don't know how YouTube is at your fingertips, there's, there's all kinds of resources all over the internet. Um, 
but yeah, get all that stuff in order before you call yourself an actor. And you certainly are an actor, having been in so many different media, as I mentioned, especially video games. Are there particular roles in video games that you either enjoy more or less than others? Yeah, I love, like, I've really learned to love playing, like, the villains and the clowns and stuff. Um, because you get the best lines and you have the most fun. And, like, obviously, like, everybody wants to be cast as the lead in a project, like Adewale, and you're there for months and. It's, you get all the cool action sequences and stuff, but sometimes like you'll be on a project where you just get killed a lot or you get to like do some really badass stuff and have the best dialogue because you're a maniacal fucking evil genius, which is a lot of fun to do, which is recently I've been playing a lot of that on TV and in movies too, which is like fucking amazing. So like villains and clowns get the most fun. So. Don't always turn those parts down if, if they're offered to you because they might stretch you in a different way you didn't expect yourself to grow. Are there roles in video games that you've had that you if had if they had been a movie, you might not have been able to do them? Absolutely. Absolutely. Most most game most games I've done, like if that was me in real life, like I couldn't look like that. Um Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But the, even nowadays Voice actors are very often motion capped. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, full motion capture, performance capture, um, either like just head head cams in the in the studio. A lot is used just uh, to match your dialogue with your character. But in the full uh, motion capture studio, there's a lot of just full performance capture for games most of the time now. Which is great because you get the full essence of the performance. It's not just a voice tacked on to someone's animation. You're wearing your mocap suit and your helmet with your cameras on your face and the microphones on the helmet. And so everything is being recorded at the same time so that it, it really is one world and one full performance that we see that's then taken apart, animated, put back together um, in the world. And it's like the things that these technicians and animators and creators can do now is absolutely fucking incredible. And they don't get the praise that they deserve half the time. Like they really work for years on these games, years, months and months. I know a guy who's his job is he's, he's, he shades the left side of buildings in video games. That's what he does. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the sun hits the right side. And I shade the left side. Huh. And like for months, that's what he does. And it's a lot of really detailed work that never gets praised. But when you play the game, like it makes the whole world look realistic. And does you being a gamer inform your performance at all? Does Do you bring an additional insight or background into your performances? Yeah, for sure. That's a good question. Um, absolutely. Some I find... It's research, right? For me, it's research. It's, you ask my fiance, she'll be like, get off the couch, you fat fucking slob. Why are you playing games? <laughs> but for me, no, she never calls me that. Um, for me, it's research because if I understand the world as a gamer, if I understand the world of what is created, when I get to work on something that's similar to that world, I know what I would hope for. I know what I'm creating. I know what the sound and the the feel and the vibe is. Um and it's not just like some like Mario Brothers, like, <laughs> you know, it's like we're not just running and, bu and punching boxes anymore. It's 
there's there's a real life aspect to these games now. And I would never ask you to name names, but do you ever <laughs> encounter actors who aren't gamers, who don't appreciate the medium? They're just in it for the job? Oh, yeah, all the time, all the time. A lot of people don't play games or have consoles at all, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this little thing for whatchamacallit, and uh, yeah, whatever, it's a gig. I'm like, wow, you have no clue. There's like Tumblr pages based on your characters. Oh, yeah, I never knew that. That's crazy. Fucking stupid internet. And then it's like, wow, I'm grateful. Um, at the same time, they're cutting themselves off from not only some really cool fandom, but also a lot of really pissy people too yeah it's true do you ever play the games that you're in you know what i do and it's it's uh i think it's i do i'll, I'll leave it at that <laughs> yeah i do isn't that kind of weird it's totally weird <laughs> like especially whenever it's something really substantial like like assassin's creed like um far cry like i'm like how many times will i kill myself this is crazy. Like I'm tired of hearing me scream and like, like it's really weird sometimes, but it's a lot of fun because I'm a gamer because yeah, like this is like when I was a kid, again, this is the stuff like we grew up dreaming about. So, um, fuck it. Life's too short to, you know, drink cheap wine and complain. So <laughs> <laughs> you not only hear yourself in some of these games, you also see yourself back to the subject of motion cap, yeah. but Sometimes there are some significant differences. Like on a good day, you're five nine, depending on what shoes you're wearing. <laughs> Whereas Atawale is more like six four. Yeah, yeah. So how much of you is in that character? Um, I would say still all of it. All of it is still like what was created from the the creative process in the room with the writers and the directors and animators and other actors. And so it's st it's still very much like me in there. Um, he don't look like me. Like I'm not gonna be confused for him walking down the street. But you know, aspects of Adewale actually do look like me. Like his eyebrow is my eyebrow, but like I don't get royalties from the eyebrow or anything like that. So, ah. um, <laughs> but I see him smile, and like I, I could see like my mother's smile in his mouth because I'm like, wow, that actually looks like my mouth. That's weird. But other people will just see, you know, an animated character's smile. But yeah, I think I think. Anybody who, who does performance capture, an essence of you is always in the character. The way you walk, the way your hands flick, the way your fingers like scratch your nose or whatever. Like it all gets put into the game, really. So you're all, yeah, you're there. You mentioned how you see your mom smile in Atawale and you, you come from a family of entertainers, but you're unique in that you are an entertainer in a medium that didn't exist for them for previous generations. Mm -hmm. So what do your parents think about your video games have they ever seen them or played them no they haven't played them they've seen they've seen like footage and clips and stuff they think it's cool every time i'm i'm going into uh a voice studio or something or that every time my mother knows i'm going to do a voice gig she's like she asked me if they're bringing back out of i'm like it doesn't work like that mom you don't understand there's other projects and <laughs> like but they like they know out because of like all of the hype that was around him at the time and stuff. So, um, but no, they think it's cool. They think it's really cool. Well, that's awesome. It's good to have their support even now. Yeah, absolutely. Now, another aspect of you that is in Atawale is his heritage. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so Atawale is Trinidadian. Um, I am Trinidadian. Um, folklore goes as such. 
<laughs> I say folklore, but it's really just um, this crappy story I'm about to tell. So Adewale was originally supposed to be from Martinique, I believe. Um, in the audition, when I met Darby, Darby McDevitt, who wrote Black Flag, and Kama Dunsmore, who directed all the cinematics for the game. And like we all spent months together working on Black Flag. Um, in the audition, I came in, I did uh, what was on the page. And they said, do you have any questions or suggestions? And I'm like, well, what if he was Trinidadian instead of from Martinique? And they're like, oh, what does that sound like? And so, again, I grew up in a Trinidadian household and I'm very good with accents and things. And for me, it's not an accent. That's how, you know, people grew up speaking in my house. So, um, I, I did my thing and they enjoyed, they liked the way it sounded. And historically, him, Adewale being Trinidadian fit better with the story of Black Flag than him being from Martinique. And it gave an, another like interesting nuance to the, not just the character, but the story. And so, um, yeah, Darby made the character Trinidadian, which I thought was really fucking cool. So, yeah. Did that have any implications for the character's personality or for the script? I, yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, there was always tons of conversations about um, line ideas or just little little things here and there. Like, because um, uh, a lot of like Trini slang and Trinidadian isms had to be put into Adewale's speech and. That meant a lot of research and lexicons came out and old dictionaries and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was definitely a, a big changer for the character. You mentioned one thing that's really important to you in gaming and in the industry is representation. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to talk about that a bit. You said how important it was for you to see people on screen who looked like you because it made it clear that you could do that. That was a, There was a place for you there. But with voice acting, the consumer doesn't always see the performer, per se. Mm -hmm. So what does representation mean in voice acting? It means authenticity to the point where, like, there's only, hmm, how to say this? When, when something is real, you know it. You know what I mean? Like, you just know there's only one Coca-Cola. Like, you just know when when there's authenticity behind something and if that means an authenticity not just in terms of accents or the way characters speak but like the love that is put into the way a character speaks and like the heart of the character is a better way to say it and sometimes the heart has to come from somebody that has lived a similar experience or has a similar background or or you know something like that because otherwise it, it sounds really artificial coming out of someone's mouth who's just being paid to say words. But if I, if I make you say words that you have lived, you'll say it differently than someone who hasn't lived it. And I feel like that, that permeates through the screen, through the controller into the ears and the psyche of the person playing the game and watching the project. And they know that this is authentic and that seeing yourself in a project like can actually give you confidence in your own life, not just, Oh, I'm playing a game, but like, wow, look, there's me in this thing. So I can do other things. And it's like, it sounds really corny, but it, like it, for me, it is that deep. And so sometimes I do really try to make the conscious effort. Not sometimes, but most times I try to make that conscious effort to like really get underneath what I'm doing so that I understand it 
um, to the point where I'm not just acting, but I'm, I'm just, I'm reacting. I'm saying words because I know them, not just because I'm being paid to say them. Is that the Stanislavski approach to acting, connecting with the elements of the character that you find in yourself? Yes. <laughs> like there's, there's lots of different schools of, of, of thought, like some, there's people call method acting, all that stuff, but like there's whatever the method is, like whatever works for you is what works, right? Like obviously if you're, if you're playing a murderer, don't go out and murder a squirrel or something so that you know what it feels like to kill. <laughs> but it's like, you should understand the weights of, um, like whenever I'll put it this way, like people in the industry, like casting directors or what, whatnot, when they, when they label characters uh, on a breakdown, right? They'll be like, oh, this character's a murderer. This character's a terrorist. This character's whatever. Like, those are not occupations. Nobody goes to work, oh, honey, I'm going to terrorists today. Like, that's not a job. That's a judgment. And so adjectives like, and titles like terrorist, murderer, whatever, that's just our judgment on a character. You can be, you know, a banker or a, a father of two or whatever and still be a murderer. So... It's it's how your actions are informed by the way the world treats you. Like there's a lot, there's a lot. Yeah, I'm going off on a tangent, but <laughs> no, go for it, man. Anything on that tangent you want to share? There, yeah, there's tons of different schools of 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 acting, and whatever works for you works. But once you're telling the truth, like you should be. Our job is to put a mirror up to society and be like, "This is you. I'm just you." So I'm showing you what you are. And if it's not that, it's it's uh, it's boring and it's artificial. Well, I was glad that you brought up casting directors because a lot of authenticity begins with them. <laughs> Do you feel that they should, when casting, look for actors who have sh those shared experiences with the character, perhaps have the same ethnicity? Absolutely. And why is that important? Um, all the same reasons, really. Like if 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 you have lived something and you have to then represent it and portray it, you'll do a way better job than somebody who has no idea what they're talking about. And so um, part of that is like, I have a big pet peeve in general in terms of like, if you see movies and especially on TV or commercials rather, especially like West Indian characters are always seen as like, first of all, people think like Jamaica is the West Indies. And it's like, that's one country. But there is a whole bunch of other countries that people come from. And not everyone has dreadlocks. Like a lot of my family does, but not everybody has dreads or says Yaman or whatever the fuck they think people say. Like it's offensive to see these like stereotypical bad West Indian characters, Caribbean characters that look like, like minstrels for lack of a better term, because that's what it is. And it's like this, this caricature of what actual people are like, but instead of searching for those actual people, they're like, oh no, but this is easier. It's easier. It's easier. We're lazy and it's easier. And so they put that on TV and in movies and somehow people like pay to see this shit. So I consciously um, fight that every day. So when put into situations where I can say something about that or change that or portray that accurately, that is part of my reason for being here as well. <laughs> because Hollywood certainly has a reputation for whitewashing certain stories. Oh, it's gross. I it's mean, you can gross. see it in Prince of Persia, Ghost in the Shell, Doctor Everything. Strange. Everything. Yeah. 
So you're saying that the need to avoid that tendency is just as important in voice acting. Absolutely. Like, obviously, like, it's a voice, right? And so many skilled actors can do many voices. I'm not saying that that is not a thing. Like, I have most of the characters I play in games are white. Like, and that's just because I'm a voice actor and I can do voices. So I understand that it's not about, oh, but you're black. How come you're playing white characters? <laughs> it's not about that. But I'm saying if there is a character that is specifically needed to sound like this, it's, it's a very complex like area. Um, but more often than not, it's, it's been the other way around where it's not approached, like it's not sought after. And so now that we're in a, in a day and time where we can find the right people to do those roles, I'm like, why the hell aren't we sometimes? So we should be. Yeah, I think it's the same argument I often hear about why women don't apply to jobs. It's because, quote unquote, they're not interested. Very often it's more a case of the hiring manager not looking hard enough for the right person. It's bullshit. People like, it's bullshit. <laughs> like, no argument here. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I want to talk a little bit also about the content in some of the games that you've been in, especially Assassin's Creed. Mm -hmm. uh, you did this great YouTube interview where you talked about how Assassin's Creed uh, addresses slavery mm -hmm. because you know the main character was a slave who became a pirate. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing a lot of mature themes start to appear in games in the last 10 years or so. For example, Life is Strange which had some pretty good voice acting, better voice acting than script, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, it tackled teen suicide. A depression Quest obviously addressed clinical depression. So it seems like games are starting to tackle serious subjects, but that is a really, you know, that's thin ice that they're walking on because it's really easy to address these things poorly. Yeah. Is it important that games go in this direction when there is so much opportunity to represent a, su a subject poorly? Hmm. I think so. I think it is. Like, I think of like other great games in recent times, like The Last of Us, things like that, that they go so deep and have such great stories and the performance, everything Troy Baker's in. I'm just like, man, like this guy is, he's got it. He's, let's work together, Troy, if you hear this. Um, <laughs> like, it's, it's really amazing to see these stories sometimes that are so, it's like watching a really great film and you forget you're playing a game. Because it goes there, it goes to these deep, dark places and talk about these really human experiences that we all go through. And I think having the access to like millions of people who play games and having, having them think about these topics is really amazing and important. Um, because again, because we can, because we live in such a, a day and age where this is possible. Why not? Absolutely. I think it's great that they're tackling these issues because games aren't always fun and life isn't always fun. And like, there's enough, there's enough stabbing and shooting games to go around for, for decades. If, if nothing else new was made, like we'd be fine. You know what I mean? And so now that new games are being made and new stories, like, yeah, they should be talking about all these horrific things in the world, slavery, violence, domestic violence, sex trafficking. Like it's, these are all disgusting things that humanity has created. And if we can't talk about it, like what's the point of them having existed? Like we have to remember so that we don't repeat. And games don't always have to be fun. They can be educational. And educational can mean learning why slave ships were fucked up and why this unspoken 
Holocaust of like almost nine to 16 million people coming across from different African countries is like unspoken of. Like, I don't mind that being in a game like Freedom Cry because it's like, this actually happened and it's not really in any history books that we learn about. So let's talk about it. It's great. And you feel Freedom Cry handled that subject well? I do. I'm really proud of Freedom Cry and the whole team because it was hard. I was so I was so mad playing the game and I was happy because I was mad. I was mad because it was really hard to watch some scenes. And I remember when we were filming those in the mocap studio, how hard it was to do them. And then I remember reading all the comments on YouTube from all the gameplays and stuff. And I I loved how like shocked people were and how like hard it was for them to play the game. And then when Rogue came out, I love how hard it was for people to press X and kill Ottawa. Like, <laughs> Whoa, like, spoiler alert. Ah, it's been years. <laughs> um, it's like, no, don't ruin the Golden Girls finale. Like, it's been out for years. People. <laughs> you should know by now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like there's, there's, there's a reason why like, these things are evolving this way, and I think it's great. What other subjects would you like to address in your games? <laughs> um, me personally? Um, yeah. Shit. Everything. Everything. I don't like I don't know specifically. What's the cause that's close to your heart, Tristan? <laughs> there's a lot of causes close to my heart. I think there's there's a we we as people, we we've learned to judge we've learned to judge mainly ourselves, but each other. We judge each other really well. We also like we always say live and let live, but we're really good on the living part, but the let live, we all need some work on. And so, um, I don't know, maybe something that tackles like, why the fuck can't you be happy with your life? Stay out of mine in a game. I don't know how that was that rabbits or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that game would look like. Maybe it's dance dance revolution. I don't know. <laughs> but it's uh, something that, I don't know. It's something that just taught self-love, but in a really badass way with some guns. <laughs> with some guns. I don't know. Some. I'd have to think on it. I'm, that's why I don't create games. I just voice them. Have you Have you ever wanted to to step on into the other half of? I have actually. I have. I've, I've always like. I had some ideas one time, and I spoke to some people one time, and um. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really there yet. I'm more like into like filmmaking and stuff than game developing. For our last subject, let's talk a little bit about fandom. Adewale was a very popular character. I'm sure you have a lot of fans on the internet. What do you see as your responsibility to interact with them? Because so many celebrities are so accessible nowadays with Twitter. Do you spend a lot of time with your fans? Anybody that reaches out and shows love, I will more than likely show it back. Because again, I don't take for granted what I do or what I'm able to do uh, today, and I realize I'm in a I'm in a privileged position sometimes to 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 do these things. So I I love interacting with like there's limits, and I've gotten some email and some mail sometime that I won't mention, but it's like there's definitely limits where I'm like oh, I'm not replying to that. Um, but there's there's so much like so much support and love for like these characters. Again, these are like fake fictitious characters that have um like 
Mega Bloks dolls and Todd McFarlane dolls, like made after them. And I think not dolls, action figures, sorry. Um, action figure. Um, <laughs> and it's so cool. Like I have, I have all the Ottawa action figures, uh, at my place in like a little glass case with a light on top. And it's cool. Like you walk in the door and you see them and it's like, Hey man, that was, that was me one time. I had abs. That was fun. Um, <laughs> so it's, I think Ottawa, like, he gets a lot of love because he was really unique. And yeah, when people reach out, I've gotten people like send me stuff from Germany, from Sweden, from Trinidad. Like that was the coolest when people from Trinidad started like writing me letters and hitting me up and asking me to come to like the, um, like Trinidad Comic Con basically. I'm like, oh my God, this is like the coolest fucking thing ever because all of my worlds are colliding, coming together in the best way did you go i'm still trying to get there because it it was it was that that year was happening while i was doing something else so i couldn't get there but recently i got an email from the same kind of group of people in trinidad and they're like well when the assassin's creed movie comes out do you want to come down here for the premiere i'm like you know i'm not in a movie right but hell if you pay for me i'll be there so uh, <laughs> that's amazing so if you guys hear this, you know, work it out. Let's get down there. Um, <laughs> Sweet. I would, I would, t- like, I would love to be in Trinidad watching the AC. Prim- like, that's so cool. So, yeah. Well, I hope that works out. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so you don't even have a cameo in the movie? Um, I do not. I wish I did. <laughs> and again, Michael Fassbender, if you're listening, <laughs> I suppose if you did have a cameo, you couldn't tell us. Probably. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but maybe one day. If you could go back to any character that you've played before for another game, which one would you do? What do you mean? Of all the characters you've ever played, which one would you want to play again? Like in the same way or like an evolution of that person? They're going to do a sequel to some game. And even if the character is dead, they're coming back. Oh, Adewale. No doubt. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> like, he, like he had a good run. He, did, he had three games, like Black Flag, Freedom Cry, Rogue. Like... And his story, like he started as a young 20 something and then 30 something and then 70 something like he had a good run, but I still, he feel he has, he has more story in there that was untouched. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? And if there is any other character in video game lore that you could play like Nathan (laughs) Drake or Lara Croft or whomever, who would you want to play? Hmm. That's great. That's a great question. Um, <laughs> this sounds so weird, but I would want to play like Koopa, but like Bowser. Yeah, but like not like the Bowser that we know and hate. But like I feel like there's room there to like make that into a really dramatic, fucking like badass story with just just about Bowser and all his children. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like Bowser had so many cool like toys and gadgets and like vessels that he flew in and stuff and his big ass hard shell back. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's cool. Well, I think you would be a better Bowser than Dennis Hopper was. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's saying the bar pretty low, but <laughs> awesome. Well, Tristan, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. You have accomplished so much and you have so much insight into acting and gaming. I really appreciate you sharing it with us. No, man, anytime, anytime. And uh, keep a lookout for, there's tons of like film and TV stuff I have coming out this year and next year. 
um, and some game stuff too that will obviously, you know, pop up very soon. But uh, film and TV wise, like I'm out there, so look for me. Yeah, re- remind us where to find you online. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Everything is T D Lala T D L A L L A. Um, Tumblr, all that stuff, and uh, my website TristanDLala.com for updates and videos and such. And uh, check out the Game Bits podcast regularly. <laughs> Thank you, sir. If you want to give any last piece of advice to our listeners about anything important to you, um, there's always a way. And uh, be kind to each other. Love yourself. Home team first. And so. Excellent. Tristan Duran Lala, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. Big shout out to Khalif Adams, co-host of the Spawn on Me podcast. Not only it's a fantastic show, but Khalif is also the one who pointed me to an article entitled 10 Awesome Black Voice Actors in Video Games. Tristan was on that list and it's how we got connected. This show would not have happened without Khalif and that article. So thanks guys.